welcome to Zion. It is good that, to be with all of you. Uh, my name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the pastor here. And we're about to, to get into the Word. But before we do, Melanie, can you just come up? We want to pray uh, for your uh, godmother, is it? Yes. Can you just stretch forth your hands? Uh, her godmother, Bianca, is ill with stage four cancer, and we just want to believe God for a miracle for her. Father, we thank you for Bianca right now, Lord. I thank you in that hospital room that you are there with her, Lord, and that your grace and your peace are with her. And so, Father, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would encounter her right now in her body. Lord, we know what the doctors have said, and we know what the reports show, but we thank you, Lord, that you are the great physician in heaven, God. And Lord, I thank you that you can work what is impossible with man. Father, is possible with you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for you to come right now and bring healing into that room, into her body. Lord, that there would be a miracle that even confounds and wonders the doctors, Father. Lord, we just pray and ask, God, for your spirit to go into every cell. Lord, that the cancer would perish and that she would live. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen. 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 So if you are new with us today, we are going through the book of Luke together. Uh, and we started a new series as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. And as he makes his way to Jerusalem, he changes his ministry. He changes what it what he does, what he talks about, what he says. Uh, and so we are uh, in the midst, the very beginning of that, as he makes his way uh, to the passion, to his final stages, the culmination, the climax of his ministry, which was the cross. And his words get more intense, his conversations get more intense. And we get, especially in Luke, a lot of these stories and conversations that we get in none of the other gospels. And today we're going to be talking about a very familiar passage, but I believe that God will bring new life into it. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. But before we get there, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, has anybody known, and maybe there's some of you in the room, uh, I showed one of my friends the outline today, and his question was, were you talking about me? Uh, I told him no, but if you're watching this, I did think about you. <laughs> You ever have a friend, and maybe you do this, where uh, they tell you they're going to start a new hobby. I, I always see this one with running. You know, I'm going to be a runner. And so what do they do? They get the running shoes. They get the running pants or shorts, the shirt, the headband. You know, it's all coordinated, same color, very bright, very, very neon. Uh, and everything comes in the mail. They get up to get up, maybe even take a picture, post it on Instagram, and then never once Go running. Anybody know somebody like that? Maybe you're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a few in the room. Now, insert whatever hobby you want. And my Lord, has Amazon swindled many of us into thinking we were going to be pros in I don't know how many sports. Right now, me and Heather are in the pickleball phenomenon. Anybody, any pickleball players here? We have bought the gear three weeks ago, but we have yet to go play pickleball. Uh, <laughs> One day, we have talked about every pickleball court in Brooklyn and Staten Island at this point. We know the routes. We know how long it's going to take to get everywhere. But oftentimes, we do this. We, we get everything ready. We prepare 
for something, and then we forget the most important thing, the one necessary thing of our preparation. And we're going to discover that same thing happens in the text today as we talk about Martha and Mary, that the two of them prep for Jesus in different ways, but one forgets the most necessary thing as one remembers the most necessary thing. Let's read together. You can read on the screen as we read Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we get into the word today, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would reveal the word to us, and that we would feast on your word and you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, the first thing that strikes me is that there are two very different responses when Jesus comes to our home. The first one that we see in this text is the response of Martha. Martha is busy prepping, doing, working, right? Any, uh, I know if you ever, if anybody is an older sibling, this doesn't just have to do with two sisters, but the older sibling is just like always looking at the younger sibling, like rolling their eyes, like you just get away with murder. Like I'm doing all the work in this house. I'm trying to raise you along with the parents. I get no credit for it. And while I'm doing that, you just frivolous ruining your life. Just run doing what you want. And I'm stuck holding the bag. Now there's a little younger siblings in here. You may be feeling a certain kind of way, but as an older sibling, you know, there's a lot of people in the room that can relate to that. Can I get an amen from the older siblings? <laughs> and so Martha is doing all the work. She's getting ready for the feast. She's supposed to prep and get ready for the guests that have entered into the home. And oftentimes this is like when we think Jesus is coming to our home or Jesus is coming and we have to get things in order for Jesus. And so a lot of times this manifests itself like somebody telling me, oh, before I start to follow Jesus, I need to stop cursing. Or if I ever walked into the church building, I'm just, I'm going to get struck by lightning or the building is going to catch on fire. You don't know my past. You don't know about the things that I have done. And oftentimes our view of Jesus is that I need to get my life in order before I come to him. I need to make sure that everything is good and looks right before I can host Jesus well in my heart. In order for Jesus to forgive me, I must first conquer my sin with my willpower or stop my moral depravity. That's what we're saying, that, that I must make sure that my house is clean for Christ. But the other response is Mary's. Her response for Jesus coming to the house is sitting at his feet and listening to him. See, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, as Jesus was considered, and listening to the rabbi was to say that you were a disciple, was to say that this person was your teacher, that you were going to learn from them and grow from them, and, and you were establishing them as, as 
as, as your discipler and you were the, as the mentee. And so Mary was establishing sitting at the feet of Jesus to say that he is my teacher. And why this is even powerful is it's to say that anybody can come before Jesus and be a disciple. And the reason for that is because in this culture, only men could become a disciple of a rabbi. It was not allowed for women to sit at the feet of a teacher and learn in this position. In fact, the very position that Mary took was as she sat down, as Jesus sat and taught, was to say that he was above and to say that I'm going to learn from you and only ones who are students of the rabbi were allowed to do this and only men were allowed to be students of the rabbi. And so as Mary sits and begins to break these stereotypes and boundaries as she learns from Jesus, we can glean from that to say that anybody can sit and become a disciple of Jesus. All it takes is for the posture of Mary to first sit and listen, because when we sit and listen, when listening is our first step, what happens is it begins to lead to all the beautiful things that the Christian life offers through the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Oftentimes we look like Martha and we try to get everything in order and try to place everything correctly before Jesus gets here so that we can impress him and do things well for him. Instead, when Jesus comes, there's only one thing that he requires, that we sit at his feet and learn because from sitting at his feet, from being a disciple, all of our good works come from them. See, Martha has it backwards. She thinks, first let me prepare, then let me sit. Mary says, first let me sit, then everything else will come from that. So you got to ask yourself, is your walk categorized as sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening and everything that you do emanating from that? Or is it doing first, as Martha did, and squeezing Jesus in after that? See, when Jesus comes to our home, when he makes our home and his home in our hearts, he is the one who sweeps the house. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 44, it says that the house is swept and put in order after Jesus makes his home there. Oftentimes we try to do the sweeping, we try to put the things in order, and we come and say, look God what I have done with my mess. And Jesus, man, he's like my mom when I used to dust the house. And, and on Saturday morning, my chores just going through like, you calling this clean? Look at these floors. You didn't mop. You didn't look at, there's, there's bugs living under this thing, Justin. Right? Our, our definition of clean is not God's definition of clean. And as often as we want to do the work of cleaning up our hearts so that we can make ourselves presentable to God, we realize that it is impossible for us to clean the house properly. It is impossible for us to order it properly. And instead, what Jesus requires is to sit and listen and be with him and to learn from him and be a disciple of his. And then what does he do? Jesus gets to cleaning. You ever have that friend or that family member, they come over and they clean, and whenever they leave, the house is cleaner after they left? If you've never experienced it, it's one of the most amazing things in the world. I've experienced it a few times. And you know, it's like, oh, don't, you know, before we had a dishwasher, it was like, oh, don't do my dishes, don't do my dishes, you know, as you walk out of the kitchen. 
See, Jesus is that good friend. Now, you don't got to get the house ready and prepped for him. When he comes, he sees the mess. He's not mad at it. He doesn't judge you for it. He just says, thank you for the invite. Now, let me do my job. Let me clean. See, the more important posture to take before Jesus is one of discipleship. Discipleship is sitting at his feet and listening. Discipleship is going to Jesus first and saying, you are the most important. Your words, who you are, I want that from you first and foremost. It is not trying to figure out how to be righteous, to make an acceptable home for him. I liken this to oftentimes I, used to, I spent my youth praying to God that I would not sin instead of praying to God that I would be close to him. Little did I realize that it was my closeness to him that would stop me from sinning, not my willpower and my trying hard that would stop me from sinning. And so one day, God corrected my prayers and he said, Justin, just be close to me and you will not sin. Amen. And that day, my eyes were open that my prayer life and my posture before God was the one that Mary took here in this passage, that it was one of always being before him because he is the one who cleans, he is the one who sweeps. When I invite him into the home of my life, it is not one of desperation trying to look good and trying to stop all this stuff, but it is desperately getting to know him and understand him. Because as I do that, he takes care of everything else. And oftentimes we are desperately trying to be righteous to impress a God who is saying, I will make you righteous. I have given you one task, be close, know me, love me. And when you do that, all you need will emanate from that. Your heart will change. Your mind will be renewed. Your heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. And everything that is promised in Scripture will happen. Oppression will break. Slavery of the enemy will be no more. But you see, the greatest enemy to discipleship is distraction. And that's what happens here to Martha. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. See, distraction comes in many forms. For Martha, her distraction was hosting and most likely prepping a meal. That's what scholars believe that she was doing at this time. That's what it meant for all the guests that had come to our home. We know that wherever Jesus went, a party followed with him. There was always food and there was always a good time wherever Jesus goes in the Gospels. And so Martha, she's hosting, she's prepping a meal. See, serving is not the emphasis on what was bad here in this passage. And a lot of times when we read this passage, it is misunderstood to say that we need to stop serving and, and sit more, listen to the preaching. But that is not what is happening here. Servant, serving was not the bad thing. And preaching is also not Jesus. And so we need to correlate what is what in the passage here. It was the distraction that was seen as negative for Martha. So for us, you know, serving may not be the distraction, and I would go so far as to say that serving is 99% not the distraction for most of us. For us, the distraction comes in many different forms. It comes in forms of overworking, of TV, of video games, of shopping, of investing, of social media, of texting, of emails, and more. It has been said that of our day and age that attention is the currency of the internet. 
Do you know that ad dollars, the billions and billions of dollars that are spent on ads is just to capture your eyeballs? And that iPhones, that every five seconds, there is an infrared light that goes off that takes a picture that sees what you are looking at to tell if you are looking at the ad or the screen that you are watching right then. Because the advertisers, which advertisers, I, you know, that was a little prophetic, advertisers, you know, <laughs> that are, are paying for you to stare at the screen and make sure that you are watching it. That's why you have the Nielsen ratings that tell you how many people, what demographic is watching every TV show. That's why all the big fuss goes out about the movies that make all these big dollars because they want to see where should we put the advertising dollars and what are they paying for? They are paying for your attention. That is what they want. Your attention is the commodity of Netflix, of Facebook, of TikTok, of every advertising that you get. Nothing comes free in life. I learned that early on from my parents. That everything has a price. And so even all of these apps that we use that are free, the only reason why it is free is because they are getting their money from somewhere else. They are getting their money from your attention, from your eyes, and what you are looking at. Netflix's CEO famously said, sleep is our competition. His competition was not Amazon Prime, it is not Apple TV, it was not other news networks, it wasn't HBO. His competition is your sleep. Why is that? Because his aim is to attract your every waking moment. He wants your attention. And if the world's richest people, the top five companies, are all spending billions and billions and making billions and billions of dollars to keep your attention, the question then becomes to us, what are we doing to stop it? We are in a world that is paid for our distraction. The more we are distracted, the more other people make money, the more enticing they will make it seem for us. See, the problem with distraction that Jesus calls out here is it leads to anxiety and being troubled. See, Martha tries to get Mary in trouble with Jesus, and any older sibling knows how this goes many times when you go to your parents and say, look at what they're doing. Isn't it wrong because I'm the one doing this? It's a lot like the prodigal son, the older self-righteous brother who's looking at the younger brother and thinking, why are you throwing a party for him when I've been here my whole life doing everything right? Martha's like, I'm getting everything right here. What's going on? Jesus, help me out here. You know culture, you know custom, you know she's supposed to be helping me. What is she doing sitting at your feet? And then as every older sibling knows, the parent never sides with you. They always side with the younger sibling. And they're like, stop tattletaling, leave them alone. Why are you always bothering us about them? Just go do your own thing. Jesus very affectionately says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus has a way to constantly pinpoint our heart and understand exactly what is going on. And there is no coincidence that we see the rates of anxiety and depression skyrocketing in the last 10 to 20 years as uh, along the lines and coinciding with the skyrocket of entertainment with social media and internet on our phones. Why? Because distraction 
will lead us down this rabbit hole to anxiousness and troubled and being troubled in our life. And Jesus calls that out immediately, that the distraction that Martha is living out is causing this worry and this troubleness that is now leading itself to complaining to Christ. See, the problem with distraction that we see here in the text is it leads away from Jesus and it leads towards trouble and it leads towards anxiety. In a world so focused on distracting us, no wonder we are so filled with worry. Why is anxiety on the lips of every teenager? Why are adults at record numbers struggling with this? Why is it constantly in the news cycle every few months about how the rates are rising over and over and over again? Because we live in a distracted society. And we may be distracted from important things like our family or our friends or our job, but the most important distraction that is happening in our life over and over and over again is our distraction from Christ. See, if you are constantly in a state of worry and filled with anxiety, the call is clear here from Jesus. Put away distraction. That means put away your phones, put away the news cycle, put away media, and what? Focus on Jesus. What would it look like to put away the distractions of your life? To say that your phone doesn't have to go with you everywhere that you go, that when you stand in a line at a supermarket, that's not the first thing that comes out. That when you sit down on the couch for the first time after a long day, it's not the first thing that comes out. That, that when you have your job or whatever you have, the extra 15 seconds, I want you to start clocking this. Anytime you have a spare second, what's the first thing you do? Pull out your phone. Right? If you are constantly in a state of distraction, you are most likely constantly in a state of anxiety and trouble is close at hand. And so the call to Jesus, to Martha many years ago, is the same call that we have today. Put away distraction and focus on him. And why should we focus on him? Because Jesus makes it clear that he is the good portion. In verse 42, it says, Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha is busy preparing the food for the guests. But the truth is, Jesus has already set out the best meal. You ever go to a restaurant with a friend and you've never been there before and you're looking at the menu and you order something and they order something and you both get your meal and you're looking at their meal and you're looking at your meal and you're like, bruh, as, as my kids would say, what is going on here? Like, your meal is way better than my meal. And then, you know, add a little icing on the cake, you find out they've been there before and they know what's good and you're like, yo, you didn't tell me what was good before we got here? Like, you could have hooked me up. What's going on with this? Now I'm gonna have to sit here in a pity party with this terrible food while I watch you eat that gourmet meal. See, I, whenever you ask a, a, a waiter what you should get or if, if this is good on the menu, what's the waiter always gonna tell you? Oh yeah, that's great. 
Why? Because they're not going to tell you the food is bad. I've learned the secret to this. You always have to ask two meals, and they're going to tell you which one they like and which one they don't. A little tip for you next time you go to the restaurant. And so you go to a restaurant and somebody orders the good meal and you're left you know, holding the bag the whole time. You don't even want your leftovers. You know that time when they come to you at the end, like, do you want to take that to go? And you're like, yes, but then you, you know, like, you know some of you got the, uh, the audacity to say no. And it's just like, yeah, throw that out. I want everybody to know that I wasn't going to finish this and I'm not going to finish it when I go home. Some of you have some good manners. You know, you take it home and then throw it in the trash so that they don't know. You don't want to hurt the chef's feelings. But I know I used to work in a restaurant. That chef sees every plate of food that goes right in that garbage when it goes in the kitchen. And they start asking questions. They didn't like the food? No, they did not like the food. <laughs> and so we see here that Mary ordered the good portion of food on the menu. That's what Jesus is illustrating. He's making a comparison, a food comparison, because Jesus loves food like the rest of us. Right? And he says, while well, you're over there preparing and working to serve food, what you didn't realize is the good food. Because the good food was here already to be served. How often we are trying to work our way out of sin or look for satisfaction or find something that will fill us. And Jesus says, I am right here. Look to me. Look at me. See, the one necessary thing Jesus says and if Jesus is saying this is the one necessary thing, then all of us need to open up our ears and hear what he is saying. That if Mary, what she did is the one thing that Jesus classifies as the one must in our life, the thing that we have to do, the one thing that is necessary for us to do, then we should look at this and realize what is this? What should we be doing? And the answer is to sit at his feet and listen, to become his disciple. Then he says, I will not take that away from her. He will not remove that from her. See, church, I've been preaching our church for a long time now. And I cannot overstate that this is what we have to do. Like if we go home and we complain and we, our, our walk isn't right, our life feels out of order, we are not living in peace, we do not have the joy of the Lord, then I, I always go back to this question of have you done the one necessary thing? Have you sat at the feet of Jesus and become his disciple? Amen. I'm still living in sin, pastor. I'm still doing this. I'm still full of anxiousness. I'm still not able to walk through this state of depression. Have we done the one necessary thing? Have we sat at the feet of Jesus and Time after time after time, when somebody comes up to me and they say, well, I'm, I'm struggling here again or I'm doing this again, my question is always, have you sat at the feet of Jesus? And every time, like clockwork, it is, well, that's gone by, you know, I've been busy, which means what? I've been distracted. 
I have allowed other things into my life that have taken the place of Jesus, and I have slowly removed him from my schedule as I've entered in other things into my calendar. And Jesus has waned as I have felt better, and other things have grown, and now I feel worse, and I wonder, how have I gotten here? And the answer is, have you lost that one necessary thing in life? There is one thing that I've realized in my life that I cannot live without because I have tried living without it countless times. And it doesn't matter what is happening in my life. It doesn't matter how busy I am. It doesn't matter how many kids end up in my house, which if you know me, there's a lot of them. And then they're always inviting their friends over and it just seems like, my Lord, what is happening? <laughs> and I used to tell God, you don't understand. They keep me up all night. I just, after I'm done with work, then I got to attend to them, then I got to put them to bed, and I got to talk to these kids all day. I'm an introvert. What is going on here? I'm tired. I, gotta, I got extra work sometimes at night. And you want me to spend time with you? You want me to give up time with you? That's what goes off in my head. And Jesus says, yes. Because what happens? <laughs> it's just like Jesus is, you know. Devil's not allowed here, so I'm not going to say he's in your phones. Not here. But the distractions are real. We have our notifications going off for everything. We have a different sound for every type of email and every person. Because this one's important and this magnitude is important than that one and blah, blah, blah. The list goes on, but we live in a never-ending cycle of, but God, did you know about this? Did you, do you realize this? And we come with excuse after excuse, with distraction after distraction. I'm good, not yet. You still got a few more minutes with me, church. Amen. The one necessary thing that we need is will you sit at the feet of Jesus? Will you eliminate things from your life that you thought were important but are not more important than sitting with Christ? Will you become his disciple as he said at the beginning of his road to Jerusalem to forsake all? Everything that you think is important, everything that culture said was important, everything that you hold dear to your life, will you forsake all and leave it all at the cross so you can have the one important thing in life, him? Because everything that you cling on to that is not Jesus will be a distraction that leads you down a path that robs your joy, that robs your peace, and robs what is most important in your life your time spent with Christ. And so the, 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 the solve of the problem to my sin, the solve of the problem to my anxiety, the solve of the problem to the issues in my life is how do I have more Christ? Do you understand the simplicity of that, but also the hardship of it? because you must systematically rip out everything from your heart and from your life that distracts you from Christ and takes away from what he wants to give. Are you willing to do the hard work to say that 
Whatever excuses that I have are not worth it. That he is the most important one. Are you saying, Justin, that I need to get a new job? If that's the case. If that's your excuse, but try other stuff. My life has been a continual cycle of adding more of Jesus and taking away more of the world. And it has been a cycle that every time that is reversed, I see the effects in my life, and every time I continue to walk towards Jesus. It is great. Jesus has taken over my shower time. Jesus has taken over my dishwashing time. Jesus has taken over my nighttime. Jesus has taken over my morning routines. Jesus has taken over my workout and exercise time. Some of you all so spiritual, you don't think you can insert Jesus into everything that you do, that he can be the center of your life, that you can pray without ceasing, as Paul says, that you can live a life that is continually thankful towards Christ and grateful in everything that you do. And the answer to the problem is have more Christ. See, church, this passage is not a call to stop serving in ministry and listen to the preaching. If that is your only meal in the scriptures during the week, you have bigger problems that we need to solve. It is a call to put away everything we think is good and sit at the feet of Jesus and devour the word whom we know is good. That is the call of this passage. That is what Jesus calls Martha to do. Can you stand with me and pray?